Welcome to episode 52 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast, end of season edition Daz. The season finished uh, yesterday with Golden State beating Houston in the finals. Uh, and congratulations to Golden State on winning the NBA title uh, for season 2018. So, great game. We're going to break that down, Daz. Um, we're also going to look at the curtain raiser, which was the Cavs-Celtics. Um, there's some rumour that the Cavs and the Warriors are going to play. I'm not sure what the point of that is, but we might even talk about that uh, a bit later on as well and sort of see uh, if you think there's <laughs> going to be any interest at all in that series. Uh, where we left it last week, Daz was at game four, so we, and, and you were not willing to make a prediction uh, in the Golden State-Houston series, um, but obviously it went, Houston win game five, uh, Chris Paul gets injured, and then uh, he's not right to go for game six. Houston jump out to a 17-point lead in game six, and then get absolutely trucked in the second half. Uh, to the tune of by 40 points they lost the second half by. But talk us through, I guess, what, what you saw in games five and six and what's, what sort of you felt may have happened going into game seven before we break down game seven in a bit more detail. Well, what I didn't predict, right, and I, I, I refused to even try to crystal ball, is that game five was basically a replica of game four um, where they withstood the third, Houston withstood the third quarter rush and um, ground out an unbelievably difficult uh, game, which impressed me to no end. So game five, and then of course Chris Paul, as you did news to no one, you know, goes and literally pulls a hammy with 40 seconds left, and he was down at the other end of the court. Ironically, that was, if I'm not mistaken, while Chris had pulled his hammy with 40 seconds left, and it was a three-point game, four-point four game? Yeah, four-point game. super tight game. Is that what led to the Quinn Cook open shot? I think I think it did, but unguarded Quinn Cook three, which he took with under a minute to go, and, of, of course, it clanked off. Um, Houston got the rebound, and uh, Chris sat on the bench for the last little bit. Oh, I thought the Quinn Cook shot they, came before that, but I could be wrong. Um, I thought it was before that, yeah. Wide open three. He, <laughs> It could be right. I could be conflating the, the, the memories there. So um, there's just a very, a very emotional, doom, sort of a doomsday sort of feel about the you know the wide angle lens of that court as Chris Grant clutched his hamstring for as hard as he played, you know, this series to, to not even be able to walk down the bat, walk down the court in the final minute, you know, of Game Five to allow then an open three. Right? That that told you that it was probably pretty bad. Now, they survived that game at the, at the end there. Um, well, just quickly to touch game. on that game, Daz, score in the third quarter of that game was 27-26, but Chris Paul scored 14 points in that quarter. He had uh, right. two points. Yeah, he had two points to right. half time. He scored twenty by the end of the game. Uh, Fourteen points in that third quarter, and he kept them afloat. Now, just bear that in mind when we go and talk about game six and seven. He absolutely kept them afloat yeah. during a period yeah. where Golden State was sort of getting into the flow of their offense a little bit more. Yeah. So. <clears throat> deflating from a hundred levels, deflating from the level of, I think, just wanting to see something new and different in the NBA Finals. I mean deflating. When I saw Chris Paul's injury, I, I kind of was over. So um, deflating from just a competitive basketball standpoint, deflating from 
this team who by every measure was an underdog again the just as a proxy 19 of 22 nba analysts on espn you know picked the warriors to win i think that'd probably be a pretty fair summary of you know how the world thought about this series you know basically the 90 percent of the world were picking the warriors and he and it was so deflating because houston i think figured it out they they they, they both figured out technically and tactically how to defend Golden State. They figured out how to get enough offense to keep these games down at the 90s and yep. to grind out victories. And I saw the dual, the duality of, I saw the look in the Cavs' eyes that I hadn't seen since LeBron 2016 finals. They're going, holy shit, this might be it. Like, I could see, you could see the look, or the, the, the stare was a little bit, a little bit vacant. They're looking a little bit up into the crowd, like, "Wow, they are, um, they are, they are living the New England Patriots losing their undefeated season." And, and so, the, as as the Warriors' confidence started to flicker, the Galf confidence of, of Houston came together, and that that sentiment, as you could sort of feel those arcs of their of their storylines crisscrossing, as Houston's ascending and in Golden State's arc descends. Of course, Chris Paul pulls a hammy, and it all goes up in fucking flames. So this, the tension that was building, the drama that was building, the right that that uh, that wrestling match, which I think those of us who love the NBA, you love a 95, 92, and 98, 94, super hard fought, tense. Every possession has meaning to it. Like I love basketball like that, and then that was lost, you know, in in Game Six for sure. And to, to Houston's credit, they came out in Game 7 without Chris Paul and had a fantastic first, not a fantastic first quarter. They came out with enormous energy and played, um, they played hard and played tough and built, I think, an 11-, 12-point lead. Mm. But just couldn't do enough, and I don't know how far you want to go yet in the breaking down Game 7. personal journey from, it's building up to greatness, Chris Paul loses it they got blitzed in game six predictably but then game seven they somehow you're like no way like how are they going to do this with danny green you know playing not even danny green the lesser green, green with gerald green <laughs> i would love to have danny green you know you're like no way this is going to be a bombing and they come out and play a pretty solid first half and then they have it ripped out of your have your heart ripped out again in the third quarter you know with when steph did his thing uh, so it's a bit of a, a quite an emotional roller coaster, and I'm not even a Rockets fan. So, um, well, yeah, I think, and coaster. that that goes back to the, the the preview that we gave, and and we said a number of things. So one of the things was pace of the series was critical, and by and large, obviously the games the Rockets won, and even the moments where they were ahead, they controlled the pace of the games. So they were very much, uh, you know controlling the flow, getting Golden State sort of stuck in the mud and offense, and Golden State had to play that ISO ball, and that's what we sort of spoke about last week. So I think Houston were winning that side of it. I think as the series went on, Capella had more of an influence, and he was outstanding in Game 7 uh, for the most part. Uh, PJ Tucker had a fantastic series. I probably didn't think he would be quite as big a factor as he was, but it was just such a razor-thin margin for them. And once Chris Paul goes down, and look, the knock on Chris Paul, I think the knock on Chris Paul from a point of view of, oh, he chokes in the plus and things like that, I think that's always been a bit overblown. But the knock on him that he's not the most durable superstar, I don't think is unfair. Because this is not this has been something that has happened, unfortunately, to him a number of times in his career. So I don't know that you can be 
massively shocked that it happened, but it is uh, it is obviously tragic for Houston because I think they had the style to beat this team. But there's no doubt in my mind as that if Chris Paul doesn't get injured, they win this series. Now, you could argue on the other side, if Iguodala doesn't go down, the Warriors end them in five or six. Maybe that's the case. Uh, but certainly from just looking at it from the Houston prism, I think if Chris Paul doesn't go down, they win this series. And they obviously, they had their chances in Game 7. I mean, they led by 15 in Game 7, uh, and then they just... It, it was pretty... Like they were... They were actually started to miss the threes. I mean, obviously, the big story coming out was the O for 27 on threes, the 27 straight threes. They missed. They started missing those sort of midway through the first quarter, but Capella and Tucker were just vacuuming up every rebound. And the point about that was that when they, in the second quarter and into the third quarter when they are missing threes, they were taking them so early in the shot clock Capella and Tucker weren't in position to be going for the offensive boards. So they're simply coming down, chucking a shot up, sometimes four or five seconds. It was like the old seven seconds or less, but without any passing. And Golden State were just off to the races. And one of the things I noticed about that game, Golden State really forced the pace. As soon as Houston would miss, and this is probably why they gave up offensive boards in the first quarter and second quarter, as soon as Houston would miss a bucket, they were off to the races, and they were running on makes and misses. As soon as uh, as soon as they got the ball, they were off to the races. They were forcing the pace, and that tied Houston down because they're back down to the seven-man rotation, something else we spoke about last week. And I think that really showed up in not even so much in the third quarter. I think it was in the fourth quarter because I thought Houston had a chance to actually come back into the game, but they just had no legs left as. But no legs, yeah, and I think, you know, the successive miss in the 27 in a row, you know, sort of deflates, the, I think, the legs a little bit a little bit further. You know, everyone starts to feel like Quinn Cook, you know, I think a little bit there at the end. Um, but look, and it's been written already very well, but Houston isn't suddenly going to become a team that, you know, starts playing a triangle offense, right, and doing some motion swings to, you know, try and get open shots. When they have an open three, they're going to take it, and they kept doing it. And the math worked for them in Game 2 when they bombed them. You know, they were 16 for 42 in Game 2 when they bombed Golden State in Golden State. And um, the math didn't work in this game. And whether it was because of legs or rotations or or pressure or the moment or, you know, it's because it's the Warriors, you know, effect. Maybe it's a little bit of all of the above. Maybe it's because they didn't have Chris Paul. But for all those, you know, it's, it's, a con- it's all those things, I think, mold, mold together. Um the only little things, just go back a half, a half step about the this conversation about um, if would Houston have won if Chris Paul played, and Dubs fans talking about uh, Andre Iguodala, Andre Iguodala, sorry, like that comparison is is both not only an insult to to, to the senses, an insult to Chris Paul, but false, lazy, wrong, and nonsensical. If you want to make an argument that your sixth or seventh best player is the same as a, as a Paul, you know Paul. Chris Paul, you know, Hall of Fame point guard. Um, I guess well, I don't think it's the same, but I think the argument is that 
Houston with Paul there, they they squeaked out two very close wins, like three points, uh, both of them, the three points and four points. So basically one possession games. And and the balance, uh, Iguodala does add value to the Warriors lineup. So you could make the argument in such a close game, they're relying on Looney for a few too many minutes, and Iguodala does make that little bit of difference. You know what I mean? Like that. That's where I think you, you come in and say. Well, Luke Richard there is something. Makes a, la- a little difference. <laughs> well, that's Luke right. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. Comparison. Then they okay. I'll go Luke Richard to Eggy, but the, the sense why I mean, it's, I just want to kibosh this. I don't want to revisit this narrative of. I just. I guess know, the point is injuries happen. happen. In sport, injuries yeah. happen. That's that's the main point. Injuries happen. It is just, it's deflating. This isn't an, an indictment on Chris Paul in any stretch. I think he acquitted himself immensely. I think he proved he was the kind of the, the you know, the lion heart of this team and that James Harden, uh, as bizarrely as this sounds, became the second fiddle, became the number two, the non-alpha of this team. And yet, in doing so, I think he showed me and probably the world a lot more resolve He's completely, from from my perspective, um, uh, obliterated and abolished the narrative around how he quit, gave up, right, got scared, whatever that, whatever we call that. What happened to him last year, Game Six? He's acquitted himself in my mind. Look, he ran out of gas. Um, he did, but I can't blame the guy for running out of gas. I watched him even in Game Seven when shit got hard and Golden State blitzed. He didn't quit. He he did not quit. And he and I, when I mean by quit, I don't mean just sort of emotionally. He kept hustling. He kept switching. He kept trying to go back and tip, you know, rebounds out. So, mm. kudos to Harden. He actually's gone up quite a lot for me in the last, certainly in game in game seven, um, and that he was actually able to, you know, kind of become again the, the deferring a little bit to Chris, and yet still giving, you know, giving every sort of effort. So kudos to Harden for, for playing his balls off and. I'm disappointed and disheartened for my guy, D'Antoni, right? So it's, uh, I don't know if you heard his press conference afterwards where he said he's just so proud of his team, but he trails off and you just know he knows just how ridiculously close he was where he's finally, he's finally figured it out with the right team in the right combination, playing the right way, you know, having the defense to complement his offensive schemes and having it sort of taken away from him that, I can imagine how hard that's going to be for him to kind of reconcile this. So um, that's a bit heartbreaking for me to see a guy who's been all, much maligned and probably ridiculed, and you know their regular season's been, you know, shrugged off as gimmicky. Um, that's got that's just heartbreaking for basketball, I think. Um, so I'd love to see them pull this off. And yeah, it's a and it's hard not to conclude that this was you know it's, that this is the probably going to be an infinitely better series than what we're about to... Oh, yeah, there's no to, doubt. I mean, Houston... Witness, yeah, Houston-Cleveland, I, I would have been excited for. I would have been really excited to talk about that series just because it's something we hadn't seen before. And I gave, as I said to you, I think I gave Cleveland a puncher's chance. I would have still been confidently predicting Houston to win, but I thought at least you could see a roadmap, I guess, for Cleveland to win that series. And we'll talk a little bit about the Golden State-Cleveland uh, yeah. matchup later, but there's no roadmap to me for the Cavs uh, to even be competitive, to be honest, in this series against Golden State, uh, unless they absolutely implode um, or get injuries or something unforeseen happens. Just quickly yeah. on Dante, I, mean, I, I do feel for Dante because he had the, he had the right plan 
he stuck to the plan and had had Paul not gone down, as I said, I, I, I firmly believe they would have won the series. They Defensively, this is a guy that's never been known for his defence. And how much credit you can give him for the way they played defence, I'm not sure. But you've got to say that they no team has ever defended Golden State this well. In a, certainly in the seven-game series. I mean, even that Cleveland, when, when Cleveland beat the them. They regular season. They were... Eight? They were, they were six. The they were six best in six. the regular, yeah, regular season. That's right. So this was not a flash in the pan. We talked about it, didn't we? We said this is actually a team that's winning games on defense. Like they can actually win a game 95, 92. And we said that in the regular season, and they carried that into the postseason. But they were a genuinely good defensive team. Harden picked up his defense even more so in the playoffs. Um, he's still by no means a, a lockdown defender. But you know the the attention to do detail and the effort was there at least. Um, the, even if the physical tools and the sort of nous that you need to have, the IQ you need to have on defense wasn't. So I felt for Dan Tay from that point of view. Where I'd sort of push back on Dan Tay, but this is where he's always fallen down. You've got to have a plan B. And I understand when Chris Paul goes down, there's no good plan B that you can go to, or no plan B that's going to be anywhere near as good as plan A. But I just felt they needed to have some sort of a plan to say, look, if the Warriors start getting hot, what what are we going to do in that third quarter, particularly in Game 7? And I can't believe that the plan was, James and Eric, you just come down and, and launch threes five seconds into the shot clock. Like, there, must, there had to be some sort of plan there to say, we're going to, you know... Throw Joe, if you're going to throw Joe Johnson out there, throw Joe Johnson out there and post him up on someone. Or do something. Like, just try and do something. Get a foothold in the game. Get a few buckets. And they just couldn't couldn't do it. Now, whether that's on Dante, whether that's on some of the decision-making on the court, I'm not sure. But that's where I get a little bit frustrated. And the other thing is, you know, you throw a guy like Ryan Anderson in. Ryan Anderson's getting roasted for his Game 7. I feel a little bit for Ryan Anderson when the guy didn't play for a month and then you throw him into the biggest game of the season and expect, I don't know, what you expected he was going to do. I mean, there's been ample opportunity for Dan Taylor to get minutes into these guys and he just hasn't done it. And that's where, I, and, and that's where, to me, the first two rounds of the playoffs had to be about we're preparing for Golden State. You know, yes, you pay Minnesota and Utah the, a certain level of respect, but really, you know, you're going to win those series. That's where you, you're going. We're preparing to beat Golden State, and I'm just not sure that they did enough there. And it did not surprise me at all. I, I thought Ryan Anderson would be needed in this series at some stage. It shocked me that he hadn't played at all leading up to that. But again, if Chris Ball doesn't go there, and we're probably not asking those questions, but that that's something that I think Dante might look at next year, particularly when you've got injury-prone guys. What is our backup plan if this happens? Yeah, I, 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 I guess I kind of I'll half agree. Well, that's two years in a row, two days, where he's gone to a seven-man rotation early in the series, and they've ran out of gas. But he had nine, right? Bob Mute and Chris Paul, and they, you know, they're both hurt. And so I go, that's where I go. Now you're talking ten and eleven deep, right? So I'm mm. going, I get it, especially with that's fair. He's the one I thought perhaps would have had a shot, but I, but you know, <laughs> God, you're not going to put what you know more Nene, more Tariq Black. They're they're even more unplayable than Ryan Anderson, right? So I kind of go. The roster was, this is the roster, right? Anderson helps them get through the regular season and helps them play, 
keep the continuity of how they play because he's a spacer. So he plays the same role in offense as Ariza and Tucker and right the other statues who, who you know dot the perimeter. So he's just and as we saw as we said the, the eight minutes he was on the floor. Golden State just put him in every pick and roll, got switched into stuff, and got burned. You know, he's on roller skates. It's not his fault. So, yeah, I, I get you. But for me, the only variable was the, the maybe some Joe Johnson, the supremely reliable big shot Joe, right? Hmm. Like, this, no moment in the series would have been too big for a Joe Johnson. And when I saw him come in, so much to my surprise, he played a little five-minute spurt and the first beginning of the second, I think, in, in game. It was obviously yeah, game seven. seven. Yeah. Either, it was either end of the first, couple end of the, the first, because when Harden sat, yeah. he came in. That was the plan, I think. If, if James and, sits, Joe Johnson comes and, in, and at least there's another ball handler. And he was, and this was when they were rolling, <clears throat> and he was backing him down and making some nice pocket passes, and you could see his confidence and his energy getting up. And right, he's not going to do you know step back threes the way the way James was, but he's going to initiate the offense and. You know, who knows what he was, he was just getting into a groove. When I saw him go to the bench, it's my two, my two weird bench moments in this, in the playoffs where Dwayne Casey throwing himself on his backside with his hands in the air as if, you know, like a toddler throwing a tantrum at, oh, my plan didn't work. Damn it. You know, this one was Joe Johnson was just getting into a groove, right? And you could see it. You could see the, 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 you know, this old warrior, he had gotten his, his sword out of his sleeve, and Dan Tony benched him after five minutes. He was fucking pissed. He was pissed. He would not look at the coach. He stopped to the side. And that little moment told me that there's a little opportunity, right? We can't know the counterfactual, right? They still built a nice 12-point halftime lead, but I just felt could he have used a little more Joe then and used a little more Joe in the third? To your point, give me a plan. Just give me a wrinkle. Give me a twist, right? Mm. Right. Give me something different. And that's where I thought he could have killed two birds with one stone. Maybe another five-minute run-run with Joe in the third when they're getting trucked just to change the dynamic and try a couple different ones. It says, and let James sit for three minutes. Let Harden sit for three, three, you know, three game minutes and six real minutes, you know, to maybe he's got some more legs with him in, in the fourth where maybe he goes, maybe Harden hits fucking four in a row in the fourth quarter, right? Mm. So that for me is a little, the little coaching moments. I don't want to stress that too hard. I just, these are counterfactuals and these are a bit, these are, you know, kind of crystal ball stuff. I felt they had a different, or I think he could get a little criticism. And it's not just him, whole team is, that's what got overlooked in all this analysis because Golden State wanted that run and they couldn't, he just couldn't overcome us. How the game began, Clay Thompson had three fouls mm-hmm. in less than four minutes. Yep. Of the four in four minutes, and the whole crowd's like, has the same reaction as we all did. Like the whole crowd's like, what? Oh, oh, holy shit! That that <laughs> happened. Like everyone, like the crowd went quiet and they all shrugged our shoulders. Like, oh my god, you know that actually happened. And then they so that number one, Clay was out. Um, eight minutes and twenty seconds left in the first quarter. Three fouls has to go to the go to the go to the bench. Number two, then they got the bonus very very quickly as you would. Um, there's a quick foul after that on um, uh, whoever it was on Kevin, and so they were in the bonus. And how many fouls? And how many free throws did Houston shoot after being in the bonus for almost eight minutes? They shot three fucking free throws, Daz. Mm. And so more to your point about this duality of 
stay true to your guns, do what you do great, which is keep shooting threes, keep shooting threes, keep shooting threes. But when the context of the games and the texture of the game changes, Clay is out, and you're in the bonus for eight minutes against the goddamn Golden State Warriors in Game 7, wouldn't you think, hey, maybe this is time where Harden does his thing. You know, run, do the thing. Do the flop, the flail, the grip, the grab, the, the shimmy, the shiver, the hat. Do the thing. Go get yourself 10. Find a way and get 10 free throws in that first quarter. I thought that was a sliding door moment. And that was validated for me when I heard in the very now almost famous or infamous Steve Kerr end of first quarter interview, you know, coaches get dragged over and, you know, Pop, you know, has made so popular his, you know, this obligation you have to the NBA, you know, to give your 30 seconds in front of the camera in real time while your team's in the playoff game. Steve Kerr goes, we couldn't have played a worse half of basketball um, and we're only down five, we'll be fine. But he was dripping. He was furious with his team. He said, we couldn't play a worse thing of basketball. He looks up at the scoreboards, we're only down five. That spoke volumes to me. I don't know if you remember this other little play, these little things that now add up in a 101-92 game with 27 in a row. Do you remember an inbounds play in the first quarter? They were yeah, P.J. Tucker threw it, and uh, James Arden just looked at it. Rolled it out. <laughs> they all stood around. Steph scoops it up and shoots and drains a three. Yeah, and they go, yeah. you tell me those those three points didn't matter? So instead of a seven-point game in the fourth quarter, it would have been a four-point game, right? You're kind of going, that's those these things in the first half, right? Clay was out. The fouls piled up. They, you know, they had some turnovers, but that's, you know, that's that's to be ex- that's to be expected. And then they only had a 12-point halftime lead. And I go, that sh- it could have, should have been 17, 18, 19 points, right? Well, so, yes, there was a couple of key moments. I, know, I think that, to, to your point on the, the fouls, the thing about Houston is they were trying to draw fouls on the perimeter rather than trying to draw fouls going to the basket. Yes. And you see these kicking in the legs and, and the referee and, and what, I sort of read from Haralabos Volgaris, who's oh, I follow his Twitter. He was saying the ref, the main referee whose name escapes me now. He's not a guy that gives those sort of calls, statistically speaking, across the season. So he said that's not the way to try and be drawing fouls against this Warriors team. You've got to be going to the basket, and they and they just re, sort of refuse to do so. Essentially, and a key moment was when Houston went up fifteen. Harden came down and tried to draw two fouls on back-to-back threes. Now, the first I thought was a foul. It was Jordan Bell got under his feet a little bit. Uh, didn't let him land clean. The second one was just, I don't even know why Harden would have thought it was going to be a foul. I think it was one of them ones where he kicked his leg out and you know, happened to hit a Warriors player and then wanted to get the call for it. There were two shots, one airboard, one hit, didn't even hit the rim, but hit the backboard. And Golden State went straight down the other and hit back-to-back threes. So there's a that was a massive, massive turnaround when you think that you know, yeah. if they score on those two possessions and you know, Golden State don't score, you may be looking at a 19-20 point lead rather than now a 9 point game. And, and that, to me, just swung the momentum straight away and Houston just never quite looked comfortable to me from that point onwards until probably in the fourth quarter. And by that stage, it was a little bit too late um, you know, when they got a foothold back in the game, at least defensively, and still couldn't hit a shot um, to save their lives, unfortunately. So that's sort of how... how and, and you're right, I mean, it's a nine-point game, but it really was a game of that was on a knife edge, and you look back to little moments like that. And that's the thing when you're playing the Warriors. You can have a, a nine-point swing 
in two possessions so easily if you just you know have if you just have a little bit of a moment where you're not 100% engaged for a few possessions they're going to make you pay every single time yeah they are see so even without Chris Paul Houston played the game they needed to play and you know yep. Golden State shot 41% from 3 and they still had every chance to win it PJ Tucker I can't. I just. I can't believe him on the offensive board, right? He was going, getting rebounds on the eight offensive rebounds as in a game seven, getting balls he should have never had any right getting, you know, over seven. Oh, I've Durant, never seen. Well, he was out rebounding Draymond, and no one out rebounds Draymond Green. Like it doesn't matter how Draymond tall they Green's are, big they are. He was out rebounding him consistently across the series. It was it was phenomenal what he did. Green, Green has been. Green was still decent on defense, but Green has been mostly terrible. Almost borderline, you know, in the full body dry, he set the music shooting the ball on the offensive end. He's been dreadful. Well, he doesn't want to shoot. He was um, over five from three in that game. He doesn't anymore. He is an no. offensive black hole now, and Houston just refused to guard him in that series. And I think they Cleveland did. will no doubt take the same tact. He, You don't need to guard him at the moment. He's, he can't hit threes. Um, he's, he's the only source of offense he's really getting is on the offensive boards. Outside of that, he is an offensive black hole. Um, he's turning the ball over. Yeah, yep, and having him and right. Looney out there now does hurt their spacing a bit, and it gives a team like Houston that's able to play good one-on-one defense, it gives them uh, the opportunity to, to sort of shut down those shooters a little bit. And it was really just the fact that Steph got hot for that little bit of time, and, and so did Clay. That you know, where they just sort yeah. of went back to old school Warriors basketball and sort of lost the ISO stuff for a little bit, uh, and and actually hit some hit some crazy shots, you know. And when you, it is deflating when the Warriors are hitting circus shots down one end, and you know Trevor Trevor Ruiz is rimming out, you know, three after three. I mean, that was another the last sort of thing I'll say just on the, on the swings and roundabouts you had Trevor Ruiz on back-to-back possessions miss wide open corner threes albeit with some big stiff jumping up and down his face on the Warriors bench pretending he's he's I oh, don't even get me started so uh he he yeah. rimmed rimmed two threes out and then Steph goes down the other end and shoots one that was an absolute brick hit every single side of the rim plus the backboard and then dropped in and you just go, look, some nights the, the basketball job, yeah. God's just aren't on your side. No, my and I'll have my final little... <laughs> so I'm just going to close, the, put a ribbon around this or the missed opportunity. So it wasn't just about the, you know, one in 186,000 probability of missing 27 three-pointers in a row. That is mathematically so improbable, but it happened. And, um, but to put a ribbon around this, the, the opportunities Houston did miss, just to your point about how bad Draymond has been. So Clay has three quick fouls and goes to the bench immediately. That means he's on the court. Draymond Green, who can't shoot and is not being defended. Durant and Curry, right, two Hall of Famers. And Kevon Looney with Sean Livingston. I go, that was the chance. Hmm. The ch- that, that was the chance to take this team and put them on their backs. And Houston's shooting the ball pretty well. Right? Harden made his first two three-pointers. Seems actually feeling pretty good, right? So they they had their chance. As horrible as it went, they made his first two, missed the next eleven. <laughs> it's just it's, it's just hard to seven for forty four. It's just hard to believe, but they they had their chances, didn't they? Now that being said, the refs didn't do them any favors. 
the three that, that Harden looked like he shot and how the referee didn't interpret that wasn't a shot. I go, what other basketball movement could that have been? Right? So in the, that was in the third quarter. Yeah, that and that was right out. in the middle of the 27, uh, oh, 27 run. Yep, and when Golden State was, you know, kind of had the throttle down, I hated that. Uh, I wasn't as apoplectic as some, but because it had been somewhat consistent. Yeah, anyway, well, what about the John Bell that, moving that screen? The, you, that that was another key this moment. This is the one. That was my that was my throwing my metaphorical shoe at, at the television, where when a, a novice like me can watch it in real time, watching this literally physically pure player completely out of play, almost like a you know uh, an illegal tackle, and it not get called whilst Curry drains a three, and I go, you got twenty thousand eyes in the stadium watching this play in this corner. And the three paid referees let Jordan Bell just absolutely sweep him off the play. It was in, in incomprehensible. And the announcers, was it, was it Reggie and Chris again? Yep. But, uh, yeah. Well, Reggie, Reggie Steph was, started yeah, one for seven from three, and then he was six for eight from three. And that was, I believe, the first yeah. three that he hit after Boomwood. So that was the one that sort of got him going as well. Yeah, it was his second one. I think it was the, the start of the heat check. That was the second yep. one. So he hit one. So this was the one that put him in rhythm. I was like, okay, now I've ca- caught it in rhythm. So he made that second one. They called the timeout. It was a ridiculous screen. And you know, the announcers were just talk, talking about how ridiculous it was. They came back. And that's the one after that. The, the Was it Bell again? Or was it Looney? Who did the, you know, between the legs behind himself to Steph who catches it. And, you know, almost like he flicks it like a cigarette butt. Just flicks it from downtown. <laughs> That one from the opposite corner. Yeah, that's when you sort of knew. Then it's, that's when Dan Tony needed to pull out some Brad Stevens mysticism and, and extra timeouts or Joe Johnson. He just needed something. Right, the whole world feels the run, and when Steph's in rhythm, you have to do something. And they didn't do something. They did more of the same. Well, I think the, they what they wanted to do was, yeah. yeah, they wanted to just go down and hit the three and think one more, one three from our side will get the crowd back into it. It's going to go in, right? And it's eventually going to go in. Trust the math, as they say, but the math did not work in their favour. So quickly, let's... It, let's... Is, a bit, it, is, it is a bit... Yeah, yeah that's it. Well, a bit revisionist, but I just felt... Yeah. Yeah. Give me three minutes of something else. That's all. Just three minutes. But. Yeah, I agree. I, w- I would like to have seen a Joe Johnson or some some <laughs> other sort of look to give them uh, when they go on that sort of run. But it's easier said than done, I think. With Houston, yeah. let's quickly look to their off-season. Off I'm going to put something to you in a second. But generally speaking, I think the the, the expectation will be they pretty much run it all back. Um, is, is that fair, do you think? I mean, if I said to you they run this exact same term back for next year, what sort of chance do you give that they they are going to get over the hump next year and beat the Warriors, assuming the Warriors run the exact same team back? So this is a broader question, which is maybe this isn't the time yet, but I'm, I'm kind of getting my head around, you know, what are, the, what are the lessons they're going to take away from this series, right? And it's tricky when, you know, when I say we, I mean the entire collective Houston franchise, it's got to be hard when you miss Chris Paul for the final two games. So you go, what lessons they draw from the series? Because um, I think back to before I answer that question, I, I've been thinking about the I've been thinking about the Cavs, and I go, what lessons did LeBron learn after? What did they take away from the 2016 finals when they beat the 73-win team? The lessons they took away were, we can do this. We can outscore them. We've got a superior offense Let's roll it back, right? And we saw what happened in 2017. 
as they didn't have nearly enough to keep pace. And then Kyrie left and yada, yada, yada. So uh, you and I had remarked about this several times where you know, LeBron got arrogant. They didn't take enough hard lessons, didn't take a little more strategic look about their genuine chances against a Golden State team. They didn't anticipate, you know, um, Kevin Durant joining forces, and they got they got completely left behind. So it's hard to take lessons, right, from, from a success like that. It'll be interesting to see what lessons Houston takes from this. So question number one, right, Chris Paul injured again but he was an absolute warrior and you traded the you know your entire entire depth of your franchise away to get him you know for, for the right to try and pay him you know basically a, a somewhat max contract um that has to be your first question you have to answer um if you want me to pose questions or pose answers to questions, well just but, a, just assume yeah, though that that yeah. they run the exact same term back i mean put them Put the salary cap machinations aside for a second. They run the same team back. Golden State right. run the same team back. One year later, we're back in the Western Conference Finals. Are they going to get over the hump, do you think, next next year, assuming health? Uh, I would think so. Look, I, I don't know what would... You know, you suppose you get a, a Reza's probably slow. Well, here's the thing, bit. yeah. Reza's 34. Chris Paul's now 34. Uh... P.J. Tucker's not getting any younger either. Um, just look at it. Gerald Green's going to come back. He's 32, 33. I mean, was this their chance, I guess? That's that's what I'm asking you. It, was this their chance, do you think? Or no. do they have another shot at it next year? Again, no, putting free agencies on your way, side. But, oh, okay. Yeah. But, but, but I guess the... So, no, I go... So, I, so I think the... What lesson do you take? The lesson you take is that um, the... the You know, we're a top six defence with this type of offense um, and we have enough wing players where we can, you know, get into, into, into client Durant and make Curry work his ass off, which they did, especially in games four and five. I mean, it's hard, it's hard not to take that lesson, right? They were toe to toe with one of the greatest teams assembled in the last number of years and beat them in a shootout in Golden State and then beat them in two amazingly grinding tense games or they beat them with two different styles right i go that that's hard not to take a lesson away to go look if we can right and get 10 percent better at 10 and you know find little find a little more find more details find little bits right find the extra inch right find the extra one or two possessions per game to be excellent it's hard not to say you know roll it back and when you say roll it back that means you know bringing back chris paul um, yep. Lots of theories going around, right? About you know, could they trade away the bank, trade away every future pick, and you know, clear clear Ryan Anderson or and or Gordon off the books to have room for a you know dot 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 LeBron etc. Um, that's uh, going to be a lot easier said than done. It's one thing to try to trade, you know, um, Patrick Beverly's and Trez Harrell and Sam Decker, you know, genuine you know assets, not exactly premiums. One thing to trade those guys away to get Chris Paul's entirely another to have not, not true albatross. I think Brian Anderson's contract is awful. That's borderline into the Omer Ashik category. Um, it's getting there. And Eric Gordon's a 17 million, right? Um, mm. He's a pretty inefficient player, tough as nails and a great fit, but he's ridiculously inefficient. Is he worth 
17, 18 million a year. That's the hard salary questions now that they have. Well, the thing so they would need in, in terms of bringing LeBron in, there's there's a couple of ways it can happen. So the one is that they can do a, wouldn't be a sign and trade, it'd basically be an opt-in and trade. So LeBron would opt into his contract, which is 35 million. They would have to send 28 million back to Cleveland, which you'd imagine would be Ryan Anderson plus a number of different players that would make up that eight million, basically the very end of their roster, and then they'd be sending a couple of draft picks well, as well. Um, in that, obviously, the well, sweeten the deal. Here's my theory: is like, would you? And this is again, we're already this is crystal ball stuff. But if it's a, was it Ryan Anderson and Clint Capella, right? If you're Cleveland, do you like the do you like the rim rolling energy of a Capella? And you can sort of start to build your team with your whatever what draft pick did they get this year from Brooklyn, number eight, number seven, yeah, something like that. I go, is that enough to build around? Is that something? Um, so would you, if you're Houston, would you trade Capella to get LeBron? I don't the know. Well, yes, right. <laughs> the answer is well. The answer is yes. I think, but would yeah, again, would right? Cleveland do that trade? There's a lot of if. Yeah, there's a lot of um, Capella's a restricted free agent as well, so it would depend on what sort of offer sheet that goes out to him because he's eligible for a max contract as well. Um, so I'm just saying, there's, there's from a math no point of asset, view, there's no <laughs> asset that's interesting to anyone. Who's no one's interested in any of their assets? No, no one. Like I don't want Tariq Black or right in the nay or RJ Hunter well that's the or, problem you'd have you know, to you'd have to hope that Cleveland would take the view or that, that we're getting something back for LeBron is better than letting him walk for nothing but I don't actually think that's the case I mean I think if, if LeBron leaves they want to get off money as as quickly as they can and probably bottom out as that's quickly it. as they can so I don't think taking on 20 million of Ryan Anderson and then there's obviously luxury no. tax implications etc for Houston um, so I, I've always sort of been of the opinion I'm not sure you can make the math work to bring LeBron in the only other thing that was put forward to me was that uh, Chris Paul could actually sign another one year contract uh, just at the room exception and then they'd rate, maintain his bird rights and sort of with a nod and a wink say we'll sign you to a longer term contract at the end of that one year but if he does sign that smaller mm. contract it gives them the room to bring LeBron in as a free agent without having to trade away and then you keep you can keep the crux of this team together potentially with Paul Harden and LeBron have a big shot at next year and then of course Chris Paul's eligible for an extension then and then obviously they're going to pay massive luxury tax to, to keep the players together for as long as they can but you wouldn't imagine LeBron's there long term anyway so that's something that I think Chris Paul's already left 11 million on the table this year he'd be looking for a payday you would think this year but I guess there's some question does he try and have one more shot of the title and then he get his payday but of course then you get into the, the sort of Jerry Maguire scenario where if you get hurt you get nothing well Ken getting the Supermax that, that's that's for sure right like he, he's not I don't I don't see I don't see, I'm with you on this one where I'm even putting Maury's hat on you know, Daryl Moore, I think this window is open, though, right? So your point is, I think the lessons they take is the window is open. they got a couple years, right? But you don't give Chris Paul more than three plus one, right? He's not getting a five-year Supermax. Forget that. 
four, I think even guaranteed is it would be a bit terrifying, wouldn't it? With his again, with his injury history, and imagine him in his age thirty six, age thirty seven. Yeah, but the, the story is that there was a bit of a nod in the wink last year when he uh, when he opted into that deal. Um, so, oh, sorry. Yeah, he opted, did he opt in or he opt, opted out in the sign and trade or he opted in? I can't remember now. I'm, it's, it's too far ago. But he, both, opted, he, opted, he opted in. He opted in, so exactly. So had he have hit free agency, he yeah, would have got a lot more yeah. money. So he opted in. That's where the $11 million comes from because yeah. he could have signed for more. So the, the, the thinking is they're actually going even more yeah. years but less money. And then the question is whether they actually backload that contract yeah, yeah. Uh, or frontload the contract. So that, and, and you'd actually be better off frontloading it to some degree because then you give yourself a longer run of relevancy. But, of course, a lot of those terms are going to be looking at just that one, two-year window of where your window's open now and you need to make the most of it. So it's going to be interesting to see how they structure that contract. I don't actually... I think there's, there's a non-zero chance it's something like that room exception happens and they just do a nod in the wink and we let's let's go for it this year if they think they can bring LeBron in um, but I think the most likely scenario is they pretty much run this same team back I can't see a scenario where they trade for LeBron I just can't see it because I don't think anyone's interested in Ryan Anderson um, maybe you, you could work something out with Eric Gordon um, but outside of that I think it's going to be very very difficult um, to be able to do that Yeah, I probably need a little more, a little more space for the road machinations and that. But I, I guess I'm in, I'm in the camp of once the the bitterness of this, of this wears off, and, and the reality of the draft hits you, right? The lessons you you think that a a, a supremely talented GM like Maury Tagar, it's just the how do we keep this window open, right, for the next couple of years. Um, and I, that's right. I would like to, I'd like a little more renovation than than a complete evolution here with this team. Is my is my feeling? Find find the seventh, eighth, and ninth guys that can get you know can actually play rotation minutes. So you're not relying on freaking Gerald Green, right? I mean that's the reality here. Is that well, Gerald Green went better than I thought he like, was going to. Well, of course, right? But he, he didn't have a job, right? And the Bucks <laughs> kicked him to the curb. He didn't have a job. It's you know. So you just could you be a little more strategic, you know, with kind of trying to bring the, the wing players in, I guess, or the they're you know more three and D guys. But we'll see. So I, I probably need a little more time to digest where to in the future. But I think it's the the window is open, but they have to be a little bit worried about Chris Paul's injuries, don't you? You have to be a little bit worried now about that. Oh, I think the durability of Chris Paul is a real concern, and that was a concern for me yeah. when they signed him, if you remember, Daz, so um, yeah. sadly it doesn't surprise me that, that he's broken down. He didn't play 82. What, what did he play in the regular season? I think it was about 66 games or somewhere, somewhere in that. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't even 60. That's right. So um, he didn't make 60 games in the regular season again. Now, some of that was a little bit of management. I think had he had, he have had to play those games, those bigger games, he probably could have gotten there, but Sadly, it's not a massive surprise to me that he did go down the way he did, even though it is very disappointing. Let's move over to the reserve grade, Daz, Daz and uh, the, well, better known as the Eastern Conference <laughs> these days. I said it, it would have been better in this series if they had, had a handshake agreement at the start and just said, let's make this best of one in Boston. Let's have a week off. At least we're going to be rested then, because 
this is one of the most forgettable series I've ever seen. I mean, outside of, I guess, the heroics of LeBron and, and the stamina that he showed and the effort that he continually brought night in, night out, particularly in the, in the game six and seven, it was a very, very forgettable series for me. Uh, I guess there's some some things you'll look at in the Tatum's arrival. Um, he was outstanding. I thought Jalen Brown had some good moments here and there. But in some ways, very much a carbon copy this Game 7 of the of the Rockets, albeit a far lower level of basketball. Uh, but I'll tell you what, Boston's shoot, three-point shooting was about the same as, uh, as the Rockets. They just didn't quite take as many... As many attempts, they were seven for thirty-nine, whereas uh, Houston were seven for forty-four. So, did you feel similar about Boston in, this, in that sense, where they've left one on the table, or left a finals appearance on the table, um, or did you feel like LeBron was going to get this done, come hell or high water? Yeah, I mean that was my predict, my serious predictions is that it literally happened exactly as I thought it would would be. You know, they Boston would win all their home games. Um, they go three two, and LeBron would do something miraculous in Game Seven. And you know, it's just not a, a historic game for him. You know, and but but the way he played and how he played for forty eight minutes, in thirty five fifteen and nine in a Game Seven on the road. You know, the next player on the court next to him is Jeff Green. So I go, this is the this is right. This is what the the narrative is. Is that could you pick a guy doing more with less? You just can't even imagine it. 48 minutes, and he's now played 410 minutes more than anyone else in the NBA this year, and 101 consecutive games played. It's it is it is ins- it is beyond human comprehension what he is able to do with his mind and his body to get prepared. So yeah, if, if, this is what I thought would happen. I did. Um, again, I saw I saw every minute of the Bucks Celtics series, so I saw just how. You know, if the Bucks had an ounce of coaching, it's probably what would have happened in the Bucks series, where Giannis and a good coach would have would have taken down the Celtics because the Celtics are they're not this is not a this is not a special team. They're special for again for overcoming the adversity of Hayward and, and Kyrie. It's special how they've had such a tight college team like bond to them. But this is not a team that anyone that history is going to remember. Fun, you know, finally is a sort of lost opportunity or a lost threat. Absolutely not. Could it have been a little interesting with Houston? Yeah. But I think Houston, the way they're playing, if they had Chris Paul, would have rolled this version of Boston. Now, no Chris Paul, no Kyrie. Maybe it's a bit interesting. But, yeah, when you get that close and it's a game seven at home, I think the fan bases, you'll, you know, you kind of go, oh, God, look how close we were. But at the end of the day, this feels like the very worst team. It feels like the worst team Boston's going to have in the next five years. Oh, I agree. I, sure I think how, yeah. if Irving and, yeah. and Hayward are there, I think they could actually push Golden State theoretically. I mean, because oh. their defense oh. is so good. No question. And then obviously those two guys raise the offensive ceiling. And we saw earlier, you know, Kyrie, not known as a defender, but he wasn't hurting their defense earlier on in the season. Now, the defense started off really well this year and then sort of tailed off a bit, but then picked up again towards the end of the season. So I thought, and even if they had made the finals, I think it's still a little bit more interesting than the Cavs, just simply from the point of view. So let's have a look at how Houston, uh, sorry, how Boston would defend either Houston or Golden State should they have gotten to the finals. Whereas, you know, the Cavs' defense isn't part of their vocabulary. Uh, normally speaking, so that would have been interesting, and obviously to see Tatum and see what he would have done in the NBA Finals, 
but at the end of the day, it, had, it just had an air of inevitability about it. At no stage in this series, or even in Game 7, did I think, I think, I think Cleveland might lose this series. Yeah, you know, I thought that no. multiple times. I guess, well, that's a bit unfair, actually. There was probably a moment in about the second quarter where you could just feel they were down by about 10, 10 to 12, I think, at that point. And you could feel like LeBron was just pleading, waiting for someone to turn up. Can someone come and help me? You know, because because Kyle Corver, mm-hmm. LeBron, this was a, a, a play that sort of said it to me. LeBron backs down Marcus mm-hmm. Smart, which is not an easy thing to do. He waits for the double turn to come over. Rogier come over, comes over in the double turn. He passed a beautiful pass to Kyle Corver in the corner, and Corver just bricks it. And Corver then, that, he's 0 for 3 at that stage. And you're like, okay, Kyle Corver hasn't shown up today. And LeBron knows, yeah, if Corver's not there, Kevin Love's already out injured. George Hill wasn't playing all that well on the offensive end. And he you could just see the shoulders start to slump a little bit. And I think I said in the message here, you know, the, if Bill Simmons, the body language doctor, would be liking what he sees from Cleveland. And then all of a sudden they started running LeBron, Jeff Green, pick and rolls. And all of a sudden, <laughs> lo and behold, Jeff Green starts scoring. You know, he's addition to LeBron. They've got this little two-man game going. And then LeBron perks up and he's back in the game and... Cleveland, and, and from that moment on, it just, to me, felt inevitable. Like, Cleveland are going to win this. Um, Boston had their chances. And Boston just couldn't score. It was, it was so similar to Houston, in the fact they just went through these runs where they you thought, are they going to are they going to hit a shot at any stage tonight? And uh, they were missing wide-open looks here, left, right and centre as well. But I think, look, a lot to be positive about from Boston I don't think they're going to be losing too much sleep over not making the finals because I don't think they gave no. themselves a, no. a realistic shot. Although it would have been nice, I guess, for them historically to say, well, look, we were the team that ran ran LeBron out of Boston in 08 and then here we are 10 years yeah. later, we've ran him out of Cleveland look, again. It would have been the Cinderella of all Cinderella of all Cinderellas, right, this, this story had it come off. But again, it's not a surprise at all. Uh, again, those of us who watched the first round where just the boss would go through these long stretches of, you know, offense just grinds to a halt. That's a good we saw in Game 7. And, you know, all four of these teams, right, who were all playing on, you know, their batteries were on 1%, right? Let's be honest. They were they were absolutely gassed. All of these teams exhausted. Marcus Smart couldn't throw it in the ocean. Terry Rozier couldn't find the ocean, right? It was it was not It was not easy sledding at all. Right, Jason Tatum was pretty spectacular. It's hard to believe he's 20 years old. He's like a, he's like a different version of Grant Hill. Right, he's just this doesn't seem to do anything poorly. He does everything with such precision. It's remarkable. He's a rookie, mm. and not a fake rookie. He's in that practice year like Simmons. He's a, it's unbelievable how good he is. So that's I mean that's what you take away, right? Um, Jalen was a bit off and he's exhausted. It's just. Here's one number that jumped out at me, Daz. They only shot the Cleveland Cavaliers had 66 field goal attempts yeah. in the game. A 66. And Boston had 85. Uh, they had nearly 20 more shots mm. <laughs> and lost. Yeah, remarkable. And and it wasn't. Yeah, Cleveland had two offensive rebounds. They're like, forget it. We're not going to run that far. We don't want to run the extra five feet and have to jump high and then run back. Forget it. As soon as that ball goes up, 
jog back. You'll get back on defense. Right? Well, if you had shown Brad Stevens this box score without the plus minuses, obviously, oh. before the game, he would have said, how quickly do I sign up? Like even LeBron, eight turnovers, nine assists, 15 rebounds, 35 points. Look, for a mere mortal player, you're like, wow, what a night. Yeah. For LeBron, Jeff you're like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Green's for oh, LeBron. It's like love. he only got thirty-five. Yet yeah, no, Kevin Love there. We got nineteen. They've only scored eighty-eight points. Really? Yep. Sign me up. I'm taking that. And then unfortunately, you look down. You've yeah. got Terry Rozier, uh, two for fourteen. Marcus Smart, one for ten. And that's the criticism I'd have of Boston. Have a little bit more, I guess, sense of where the game's at. Like, why is Terry Rozier shooting fourteen times and Marcus Smart ten? when you've got Al Horford shot 12, 7 of 12, and Tatum's 9 of 17. like, And, and that's where I think they're sort of saying, look, Tatum doesn't realise he's the best player in the team yet, but someone else needs to realise he's the best player in the team too and, yeah. and start giving him the ball. Get the ball that Al Horford was started the game 6 or 7 and then didn't see the ball for a quarter and a half. Like, you've just got to, you've got yeah. to find a way of getting easy buckets. And I think that's where they sort of fell down in this one. Um, I mean, Aaron Baines was zero for zero, didn't even take a shot. So, you know, they're the sort no, of things you look yeah. back and you go, what, what's going on? You know, the, the decision-making on this team, and that's where, obviously, when you're relying on a Terry yeah, Rose yeah. year, and, and there was some sort of half-hearted suggestions they should look at trading Kyrie in the off-season because Rose has done so well. Well, I think we can very quickly put that to bed. I don't think they'll be shopping um, Kyrie Irving around too aggressively in the off-season. I've seen that. No. I mean, where does this team sit, Daz? If they bring back... Obviously, they'll bring back Kyrie and Haywood, barring something unforeseen in the, in the off-season. Where do you think this team sits? I mean, are they one of the favourites for the title going into next year? Do you put them that highly? I mean, I put them as, depending on where LeBron goes, right, for the moment, um, it's, <clears throat> you'd have to put them as the default number one seed next year, right? Just, you know, it's almost not even close, to be honest with you, um, considering where Toronto's at. And Philly has still got more. Philly's got a couple of years yet to try and figure out who they are in this again you've heard me say it a hundred times this year there's got to be some ironing out between Embiid's temperament and style and, and Ben Simmons's um, you know almost metronomic approach to the game what's Markel fault so I think Philly's still got Philly could take a step back for they take a step forward but Boston is it absolutely I mean this would be the easy no-brainer default number one seed in the east Again, not knowing where LeBron lands, for sure. Imagine this team with with the scoring of Kyrie and the scoring of, of Hayward. Well, to be fair, I don't think it matters where LeBron lands. In, in terms of seeding, I don't think it's going to matter where LeBron lands because LeBron's sort of happy to punt away the, the regular well, season to some extent. Yeah. I don't think LeBron's going to be busting a gut to get yeah. the one seed, put it that way, even if he goes, stays in Cleveland or goes to Philly or wherever. Um, I think yeah. he'd still be picking Boston. Obviously, if he goes to Philly, you say, all right, now we've got a conversation. But outside of that, and I guess you don't know what the coaching situation is going to be in Toronto either. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Toronto up there again in terms of their win total. But obviously, we won't be we won't be giving yeah, taking yeah. it too seriously until playoff time. Yeah. Look, I think they had an interesting question looming around Marcus Smart. You know, he's also restricted. And he's um, talking about what, is, what was his quote after the game. 
I'm worth more than 12 to 14 million per year. <laughs> so he, like he played tough, right? The whole playoffs, but man, he's just, his offensive flaws are, are so yeah, obvious. Dollar, dollar beware. I mean, it's a, well, he's not. He's, I think he's yeah. a little bit better yeah. than Robeson. But the problem is, Robeson understands he's not a good offensive player. Marcus Smart thinks he's Eric Gordon. Like that's that's the problem with yeah. Marcus Smart. So I yeah. think you've, you need to rein that in a little bit. Um, and you know, one for ten in the game seven. Although he, had, you know, he had seven assists, no turnovers. So he, he finds a way to contribute. And he was plus two on the night. So he he's one of those guys. As frustrating as he he does find a way to contribute, um, even if he's not shooting the ball well so it's a tough Jeez, wouldn't he wouldn't wouldn't he be fun on houston <laughs> go completely disrupt <laughs> just go and just absolutely just basically drip venom and you know froth at the mouth for 48 minutes against golden state in the western conference sort of well that's what they need that yeah houston do need <laughs> that one extra wing player if they just had that one extra yeah. wing player and maybe a bit more of a reliable backup to chris paul that, that really, t- you can tie the bow on that team then, I think. So, quickly, yeah. let, let's let's look forward to the NBA Finals, Daz, for, for what it is. I mean, I'll quickly have a quick rant about it. I, th- I think this series is going to be <laughs> over in, in five games. I think it, it'll be a gentleman's sweep, as much as you can call a team a gentleman that has Zaza Pachulia on it. I think Golden State will do, the, do this very, very easily. And all the analysis around this series so far has not been about whether Cleveland can win the series. It's whether Cleveland can win a game. And I think this is really bad look for the NBA. After a, a great season, wouldn't have been fantastic to see Golden State and Houston, what we just witnessed, that great seven-game series, that's the NBA Finals. Now we're going to have to have the letdown of this absolute mismatch between Golden State and Cleveland, the fourth time we've seen it, they've had what two good games in the in the whole years that we've been watching those series. I don't know why anyone would be looking forward to this, outside of if you're a you know a, a Golden State fan or you really want to see LeBron's last stand type of thing. I really think there's you know, and Adam Silver's already made. Uh, made some noise about this and I think they're going to look at whether they abandon the conference system in the next sort of four or five years. Now maybe the East with Boston and Philly is going to be more competitive but you look back as since Jordan retired right we've had 20 years of basketball. I, I looked back at it today every single team in the Western Conference at it, during that 20 years has had one moment of relevance, one team that you would look back on and say, yep, I remember that team, and they either you know, pushed it to the conference finals, had a good player from, were a fun team. In the Eastern Conference, you know how many I could come up with? I could come up with five. And I had to push myself to, to, to include the Indiana Pacers with Reggie Miller that made the finals, and maybe you could throw in the, the Paul George, Lance, George Hill, David West, Paces, Roy Hibbard Paces that, that pushed the Heat to seven. You've got the Heat, the Celtics, um, the, the Pistons, uh, who else was there? <laughs> the Paces who I mentioned and obviously the Cavs. They're the five teams that have mattered in the Eastern Conference in 20 years of basketball. Why do we have to pretend at the end of the year that these are the two best teams when for most of those 20 years it just hasn't been the case? I mean, I remember when the Nets and the, um, you know, the, the Sixers and that were playing the Lakers in those early 2000s. You're just like, 
why couldn't we have just watched the Lakers and the Kings in the finals? That would have been far better. I mean, I, I don't know if you're ready to answer this question tonight, but I'm saying watch this space, particularly if this finals goes the way I think it will, which will be a very comfortable Golden State series. I mean, this is not the best way to end the, end, end the NBA season, is it? Surely, does. Look, this uh, you're not going to get me. Uh, this is not an issue that fires me up. I just don't really, this doesn't bother me. And I, maybe I'm weird because I, I find a lot of entertainment, a lot of joy and satisfaction from, right, from, from almost as much from tip off in October to, you know, to what we just witnessed. So I'm, yeah, I'm just not in the, I'm not sort of fussed by it, to be honest. Um, cause stuff changes and stuff happens and we just don't know. Like no one was picked. Picking, you know, Cleveland to beat, you know, the seventy-three win team. Yeah, but that was a one-off. It's been twenty years, Des. This has been twenty years of mediocrity from one conference, and we've got to sit here now and pretend this is this is the grand final when it's clearly not. I mean, we've the the title's over. This is just a mere formality now. I just think it's Mm -hmm. a total anticlimax. Yeah. I mean, I'm just honestly yeah. treating it as though the season is over. The season's over for me. I'm also not fussed the other way. If you go and do this thing where you shuffle them up and you've got you know, Boston traveling six-hour flights to play the Clippers in round one and you're going to exhaust players and the you know, CBA wants this, and all right, you're going to do this East Coast, West Coast seven-game series from, from round one if you're going to do the mixing. Okay, you know, you know, we'll figure it out, but... This issue is not. This not a thing for me. I, I understand the argument. I understand the, you know, the incompetence of um, the human beings who are the general managers of a lot of these, a lot of these clubs. Look, there's a lot of incompetence in the West as well. So I kind of, it's not. It's not just a, you know, these are humans. They're irrational. Things change. It's fluid, and what's down is you know can go up as quickly as what's up can go down. So I'm. I don't mind. I guess I'm not anti a shakeup. I don't think there's any sanctity, you know, to you know the, the conference, you know, rivalries that get built in the playoffs. I think the sanctity is the seven game series, and I think that you know that's what builds that's what builds and imprints memories and rivalries is you know seven game series. So I, um, I guess I'm just not as fussed about it, about it either way. To be honest, as yeah, I wish the finals meant something more, but I don't know. When these great teams are great, they tend to be great. You know, Jordan, did Jordan ever play a game seven in the finals? No. Right? So I go, yeah, right. Well, you could make the argument that he's. But you could make the argument with Chicago in those years, the Eastern Conference was tougher to get through than the West. So his his seven game series came in the East when he played New York and he played the Pacers uh, later on in his career. I just like the thought of. But the entire premise of your argument is to try and get the two best teams in the finals. And I go, all right, if we had the two best teams in the finals, right, that, you know. um, Well, you'd almost certainly this year you'd have Golden State and Houston. I mean, unless something, you know, ridiculous happened outside of that. And you might have had some other fun matchups in between that. Um, I just like the thought, call me old-fashioned, I'd like the thought of, well, they win in seven games, though. And then we say, well, that's a finals. We could look back on the 2018 season and go, wow, what a season, great finals, well done to Golden State. Instead, you, you know, you can look back on the 2018 season. Basketball junkies like us might remember the conference finals, but you look back at the, the history books and go, yeah, 4-1, that was a boring finals. 
um, move on to the next one. What happened next year? So mm-hmm. I, just call me yeah, old fashioned. Look, I, I, I understand the argument. I do. It's just, it's just not one. Um, it's not one that um, impels me. So I, I understand it, but I don't find it either a provocative or a, a disastrous proposal to do it. I'm just not. Yeah. Again, I'm. If you can figure out the logistics, that's great. And if I don't want, I don't know if I like five game series in the first round. I just get rid of the first round. Then I, I like seven game series. So I'm kind of in. I'm in that camp. I don't. I don't like five game series. I don't know why I don't like them. Um, I think that was part of the argument for, you know, to try and reduce the travel as you do a two two one sort of thing. Hmm. Um, you know, five games, but I'm not not a super fan of that. I didn't mind the five-game so series the- back in the day because there's a bit more cut through about it. But you, the problem with the five-game yeah, series is right. it can turn very quickly and you get a top seed that can lose to a lower seed well, the, simply because they have one bad the game. Problem is the, well, the problem is the and that and there's the argument of the, you know, how, do you do one, 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 just keep alternating, right? And you can have all Yeah, but then the travel, travel comes, yeah. Yep. <laughs> or if you do two, 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 one, right? Then you got, well you're probably going to start down in the hole down 2-0. And so you're putting a team having to win three in a row. So these, these a little more, there's going to be obviously quite a lot of logistics to think through. Not to mention oh, look, I think there's still a lot of questions that are going to be answered, but I, I do yeah. think it's going to come up yeah. again after this series. Let, let's move to the series now. Um, I've said, look, yeah. Golden State in five. I just can't see a roadmap for how Cleveland's going no, to win this series. I, I just a, don't. No, it's a sweep. There's, I, there's, as amazing as LeBron has been, I'm going to believe my eyes and going to go, I think he's finally now tired. I think, I think that he's, <laughs> is he now spent? I go, I think I said it, you know, probably two weeks ago. He looks like he finally might be tired as, um, and when clay unleashes and stuff unleashes and golden state goes up 15 in the second quarter, you know, I, you know, and he looks and he goes, hey guys, and he turns around and you know, sees Jeff Green and Chad Osmond and Jay Calderon. He's all fucking dead. You know, right? So I get, but it's going to be, it, it, the drama is what's he going to do? Is he just going to, out of spite, go for 50 and 10 and they lose by 30? Like, might he do that just for fun? Like, what is he going to go, what do you think he's actually going to do? I don't think he's going to put up big numbers because I think he's going to be sitting on the pine for a good quarter and a half, particularly in the first two games, because they're probably just going to go, we'll punt these two and hope we can hold home court and who knows in the game seven. That's (laughs) that's the only hope that they have. I mean, just hold hold home court. Hope that the Warriors are a little bit complacent. The Warriors have been, have sort of been sloppy. They've played in fits and spurts at different times. I don't think the the Houston series is them playing fits and spurts. I think Houston presented some unique problems for them. But I think in they the did. previous series, you know, they gave a game to the Spurs, um, let the Spurs hang around in a couple of games, and and probably the same with with New Orleans. Although I think New Orleans was a bit more need, of a challenge for them. There's no there's no path to competition here. There's just there's just not a path. In injuries and suspensions, you know, I don't know. Curry's aggravates a knee. Iguodala doesn't come back. And well, you'd like, need Draymond Green to punch. He got something. If Draymond Green punched Durant in the head yeah. for a missed assignment in the first five minutes of game one, then you might have a series. But outside of that... It's so funny. Do a, 
Um, yeah, get Portis and Miritich. You get Bobby Portis and Miritich to come to the Golden State locker room and do pregame, talk, <laughs> you know, pregame talk. Get them fired up. <laughs> well, that, and that's so, the thing. Like LeBron's going to struggle to put up numbers in this series because Golden State have a, a uniquely set up where they have their defenders to throw at him. Where no one in the Eastern Conference had defenders to throw at him. Really, I mean, the Marcus Marcus Morris sort of got talked up a little bit about it, and. and I guess did an okay job um, for a couple of the games in the series, but at the end of the day, Golden State can have Draymond. If Iggy's healthy, they can throw him at him. Obviously, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, you name it. Um, they can they can sort of throw bodies at LeBron. So LeBron's not going to be able to do it all on his own, and we've already seen he, he runs out of partners pretty quick, particularly on the road. I have no insight, Daz. I don't see a path. It's a a horrible matchup for Cleveland. Just <laughs> even being planning goal. I guess if Kevin Love is, you know, is cleared from the concussion protocol, which he's not yet, and he's a hundred percent, and you know, he's not blurry. Well, they, I don't think he's going to play game one. That was the last I heard. There so he, he's right. he's likely yeah. out for game one. So they they're down one nil to start the series. Um, yeah. And that's why I gave him a puncher's chance against Houston, I guess, because Houston can have nights probably not quite as bad as what we saw in, in Game 7, but nights where they're not shooting as well. I think Houston, Cleveland can de- could have defended them a little bit better, and they didn't have a natural matchup for LeBron in a one-on-one sense either. So I thought that was going to be a much more interesting series, and I could have seen that maybe going six or even five close games. But this one's just... It's not going to be close. I mean, the only thing is, if, if Golden State just no. totally no-show for one of the games, um, it's going to be yeah, over. So, so that's the thing. And then, well, obviously, the... Yeah, I'll, I'll give Cleveland one game. I think that they'll they'll probably take game four, similar to last year, but uh, I don't expect it's going to be too um, competitive. So, And then, obviously, um, the big questions will be about LeBron and, and where he goes next year. And that, I Honestly, I don't think he's given that much thought as beyond just, I want to get through this season. I think he's obviously got his own mind what he, where he may prefer to go, but I don't think he's he got... A, a, you know, I don't think his mind's made up one way or the other. I'm, I'm certain he won't be back in Cleveland, but I'm not. I'm, I'm not willing to sort of make any suggestions as to where he's going to go um, once the season finishes. No, not yet. Too soon. Um, I know he knows what he's doing, but so he's, a, he's a, so thinking in the future. Uh, he knows where he's going, and. Yeah, I don't know if we can find. Maybe we'll have a moment of brilliance from him that we just add to the ledger. Um, is it fair to expect that he's going to? Is it fair to expect he's going to finally get injured at some stage next season? No. <laughs> like he's not going to no. randomly tread on someone's foot and and yeah, twist his ankle. Or do yeah, or get a drug habit, maybe, or I don't know. But no injury. No, why? No reason to believe that'll happen. Like maybe I'm just maybe the show that he's human. Yeah, I don't know. He cut himself. Um, yeah. Oh, look, I yeah, hope he goes to the I, West. I hope he goes out West and, and at least test yourself against the best teams uh, in the NBA, particularly come playoff again, time. We'll, we'll, we'll dig into what motivates him. I think what eats at him is that the, he's got um, a cupcake who joined a 73-win team. I think that eats at him. The injustice of that as it relays as it relates to his 
his legacy, mm-hmm. his legacy in terms of of titles and rings and MV and Finals MVPs. I think that eats at him. So I think he, my impression, he's a um, he's a you know Kyrie bailing out completely changed the calculus for him. And, and I think he's had the entire year trying to figure out what where to. But I think what now eats at him is the is the 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 cupcake you know dynasty um and they they got they got a little bit of i guess a little bit of wobble to them which we'll talk a bit more about i suppose as, as the season where or the off season wears on hmm. um but i also wonder if he if he also has enough of the self-awareness as some guys get even later and i think lebron quite sophisticated i would like to believe um like he overdoes it sometimes sometimes all the time but I wonder if he just under if maybe is this the final year where what the lessons he takes from getting swept out of the finals, the lessons he takes from having Kyrie Bolt, the lessons he takes from having, you know, what was once a really nice guy, Isaiah Thomas, turned into a petulant, argumentative, um, you know, kind of attitude in the locker room. Is this the does he finally take the lesson that says maybe I need to lead differently later in my career because I put so much pressure and remove a lot of joy from the game in the teams that I am on and put my coach under pressure and I get GMs fired, right? Maybe I wonder, is, is, and then how does, what does he actually do about that? How does he go about changing the way he plays? Does he delegate? Does he defer? Does he, I don't know, play fewer minutes? Does he sit out games? Right? I don't know what that means. Does he do different things in practice? Does he does he lighten up? I, I don't know. But I, that's my question. Is is that in him? Is that perhaps a, a mode he will need to get to to be more uh, building really healthier and healthier and less pressurized work environments? Mm. Those are great when you're surrounded by Hall of Famers like Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch and a future Hall of Famer and possibly in Kyrie and Kevin Love, but superstars in their own right. So that's the question for me. Or So can he do that and create that in a place? And is there a coach like that who can who can do that? Or is he so hardwired to, you know, again, play 101 games in 48 minutes? Does he only know one speed? Does he only know this million miles an hour until he, you know, goes out in a, in a blaze of glory? you know, like drag his carcass off the court, then you know, what sort of style of environment and players, you know, will suit him. That's how my mind is thinking about, and I don't know which of those two he is, Dads. Oh, I don't think the personality will change. I think the game, I think that his game may change a bit because I think he's going to realise that he can't take the load that he took on uh, this year. So I think he's going to pick his moments a little bit more. And, and he was forced to not pick his moments this year just by the decrepit roster that he had around him. And we touched on it last week. I think the the interesting thing is going to be is, does LeBron look long-term with his next contract and with his next move? Or is he going to be a little bit like David Carradine in Kung Fu and just sort of be moving around to different teams that need his help? And soon, if he can yeah. if he can sort of defeat the evil empire that is the, is the Golden State Warriors. And obviously, because I think he'd be thinking, you know, Houston would be a perfect spot for him to land for a season or two and, and in terms of if you want to beat Golden State. But if you want to build, if oh. you want to be part of something longer term... 
maybe he can sort of pull some string, few more strings at the Lakers and get the roster that he wants together there. Uh, or, of course, Philly, who we've spoken about as well, depending on how high he is um, on their young talent. So that that's one of the things I think is going to be interesting to see. Is he thinking short-term that I just want to beat Golden State and, and take down this team? Or is he thinking, I want to be set up for success for the next five, six years or you know, four or five years at least? Um, in, in, in what's going to be in the, more of the twilight yeah. of his career. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's short-term, long-term in that versus that mere scenario. I think that's one dimension. I think he's going to have to answer the short-term first to state the obvious um, mathematically and practically in that he he's going to have to go to some place where there's a big space to fill. And that's my, that's my problem with Houston as I go. They are the greatest part of Houston is they can shoot 45, 53s a game. That's the opposite of what LeBron can do, right? So I go, he's got a D'Antoni, he's got the style, he's got this team who basically should have, could have, would have beaten Golden State. There's not enough space for LeBron on Houston in that in that team. So I go, that's why I think he's more likely to end up in a place where Chris Paul leaves Houston and he, and he goes with him and they create a space in an L.A. where he can create the space right with the brotherhood you know and and build that with them and you know perhaps hand pick a coach or go to play with doc rivers yeah you know that's i think the clip the clippers are also not a non-zero factor for me with jerry west and doc rivers i think that's a real i think that's real i think we're sleeping on the clippers so that's my that's my as much as i was probably pro houston say you know six months ago um just because of the banana boat but now having seen how far they've actually come and how just how not um, the extreme to which they've taken the three-point shot. I just don't know how LeBron fits in that style. Oh, I think they'd adapt. So. I think they'd adapt to to bring LeBron yeah. in. They adapted a little bit this year with with Chris Paul there. Um, Although I didn't think they probably shoot. Maybe more he just three. plays point guard the whole time. That's <laughs> yeah, that's maybe right. he just plays the point. That's look fair enough. It's LeBron, right? So yeah, LeBron will fit anywhere. He'd even fit in the Spurs system. I'm sure all. we'd find we'd we'd bump Dejounte Murray's minutes down a little bit of point and maybe give him a bit of a run there if he wanted to come to to the other team in Texas. Last little point, Daz, we we'll look at is um, some stories coming out of, and I'm sure there'll be more to break on this. The story coming out of Philadelphia about. Uh, Brian Colangelo and his Twitter accounts. So if you haven't seen this story, there was a tip given to the ringer where Brian Colangelo had five different Twitter accounts and they they decided to follow those accounts. And um, certainly the circumstantial evidence strongly suggests that these accounts are linked to Brian Colangelo. Now, he has denied uh, that he is um, the owner of four of the five accounts, but uh, after being asked about two of the accounts, the other three accounts went private the very next day. So, as I said, a lot of circumstantial evidence to suggest that Colangelo is linked to these accounts, and they did not have nice things to say about the likes of Mark L. Fultz, particularly uh, vicious against Joel Embiid, criticism of Brett Brown in there, um, leaking of internal secrets about uh, Joel Okafor and Nellis Noel. Like, this is this is going to be like an onion peeling the layers of this off, Daz, in the next few weeks. But what was your immediate reaction when you sort of read the story today? Uh, almost like Lance's quiz um, about <laughs> I, I I wasn't sure what I was looking at. I go, was I reading a, a satire in the Onion about 
you know, a fake commentary about the state of of media and social media? Was I watching a a preamble to Game of Zones, right? And something that would happen. I I I, I was trying to. What's the story that I'm reading here? So I literally was confused, right? Which you know, surprise. I didn't I didn't understand what I was reading, and then I reread it and thought, holy, holy shit <laughs> the, the, it's almost impossible for me I mean I am so convinced right An extremely compelling argument um, you know I think we're both a little bit aspiring math nerds as well I go the math the math doesn't lie with the probabilities like this just the pattern recognition and all the common uh, all you know these fake accounts quote fake accounts or following all these basketball players on the University of Chicago where his son plays you know well you even know, people outside the basketball that were linked to him yeah. sorry yeah, to all kinds of links yeah. to him. former no no former business so there's the oh my god I go so I go is he this dumb and I go is he this dumb maybe did he think he could get away with it probably and then I go but that's more psychology of it of boy, oh boy, will human beings go to great lengths to try and make themselves feel better. Now we have, America has a president who's built an entire life in, you know, billion dollar kingdoms <laughs> um, of, of sycophants to tell them how great they are, to not have an ounce of, you know, uh, to not spend one minute looking at themselves um, with any sort of objectivity. So it doesn't surprise me that there are people in this cutthroat industry who are insecure and nervous and afraid and unsure of themselves and need to do things to help themselves feel better. And that's what this looks like. It looks like a guy who had uh, a tough, uh, wants to make it feel like it was really hard to follow in Hinky's footsteps or the language of the process has, you know, endured where Joel Embiid himself calls himself the process. And, you know, Hinky is basically a deity. And this guy came in and quote, can't do anything right, unquote. And has gone to great lengths to make himself feel good about himself, is all it looks like. So some some people turn to alcohol, some people turn to drugs, some people um, turn to uh, wisdom to try and get better at at their jobs, and <laughs> they they seek advice and and work through things in logical manners, and you know they practice and take feedback. Some guys just want to wrap themselves with their own tweets, and it is. This is no doubt the tip of the iceberg, but the fact that the three unannounced, the, the way this unfolded, if you didn't hear this, is the Ben Dietrich of the Ringers, the guy, and there was allegedly five accounts which they had worked out were going to be all Colangelo's, and they basically told um, Philadelphia, the Sixers, he goes, hey, we figured out these two, could you just check if those are Colangelo's? And the three accounts that had they'd never disclosed to Philadelphia were instantly shut down like within the hour <laughs> well they were made private what, made private what else, they were made, made private sorry not shut down they were made private thank you that's, that's what I meant to say they were made private and so I go can you imagine if you're Ben Dietrich or the radio like when you call Philadelphia and you tell them this are you like literally refreshing your computer every second <laughs> waiting to see what happens to these Twitter accounts like imagine that day it is like discovering the holy grail the magna carta right the, he's discovered you know uh, discovered gold so it is the ultimate the ultimate discovery i imagine for this reporter to, to find this out and 
what this so let's it's probably him right it's almost certainly him and uh did you see what joel Embiid tweeted as a result of this (laughs) the one i I just saw i just saw the one tweet which is bro (laughs) b-r-u-h capital (laughs) so as much as i hate his on the floor that is the (laughs) priceless priceless response (laughs) and the father the father that went with it (laughs) well i didn't see the photo oh Higginson he put a photo of him there's a photo of Joel Embiid with this really serious look on his face and it just says bruh (laughs) I just saw the bruh like I didn't see the tweet. I just saw someone tell me about the. Uh, tell me oh, about the tweet. you got to say the father. Better. That's even better. Bro. So apparently he has spoken yeah. to Colangelo, and Colangelo has assured him it wasn't him. But um, <laughs> sure. as Wojt- as Adrian Wojnarowski said, look, there might be a way to prove or disprove this um, through IT experts. He said, but the, the circumstantial evidence is overwhelming. <laughs> it's not circumstantial. It's mathematically well. What else? I suppose yes. Yeah. So I think the only thing that the for literally the only thing that can happen here is I think Colangelo is working his butt off to try and find I don't know a nephew, <laughs> a, 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 a friend of his kids to go. Yep, my bad. Been doing it, doing it all along. Uh-huh. Did it. Now in, in return, I want right two million dollars. <laughs> three Ferraris, you know, and then the rest of it for, you know, for life, basically. So, so all joking aside, this is surely, this is chapter one of what's going to be an unbelievable unfolding of events. But the implications of this are, are house of cards like implications Daz. I mean, it could literally topple the entire front office. Well, Hinky could be back there. That's not beyond the realms of possibility. Bro, I see the photo now. <laughs> fifty-six thousand likes he got for that one. Oh, I'm just getting fifty-six thousand and one after after my click. Uh, <laughs> it was absolute gold. So and Brett Brand just saw an extension there as well. So he the, the day of Brett Brand's extension. Uh, how very Philadelphia. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's so perfect. So yeah, can you? But so. Imagine if, imagine how hard he would have been tweeting though, watching Jason Tatum do what he's been doing in the in the Eastern Conference Finals against LeBron James, and he's got he's got Markel, who's you know. <laughs> well, he's blamed he's other blamed other people for Markel's yeah. struggles. Um, yeah, uh, there, there was a, a well, a personal trainer who's apparently has a relationship with Markel Fultz's mother. Uh, got in his ear and ch- got him to change his shot, and that was mm, sort sure. of the, the problems there. So um, he's he's looking for scapegoats uh, on on these Twitter accounts. So it's certainly certainly going to be something to see though. As as you say, it could shake up the entire front office there at Philadelphia. Um, well, the beauty is that four tweets before. MB's hilarious bro it's he's he's just Tatum. he's got a Jason Tatum tweet. He just says Jason Tatum. <laughs> so, this is from Embiid, so Colangelo, you know, he can blame whoever he wants for, for Markel Fultz's wonky shot and Markel Fultz didn't make that trade. So um Markel yeah. Fultz isn't the head of, you know, player evaluation and scouting. So it's an unbelievable story. Read it, read every word of it on the ringer twice. 
if you haven't. What fun. Uh, yeah, this this sort of thing makes me wish I was a, a journalist, right? For Ben Dietrich, what an unbelievable journey. This must have been the last... Boy, this would have taken a while to put this story together, huh? Yeah, I'm not sure he's a freelance writer. He does. He writes only occasionally. I sort of checked out his other articles on the Ringer, and he doesn't. He sort of drops one every three months or something. So he could, I don't know if he's a freelance guy that comes in occasionally with the Ringer or not. But uh, it certainly put the Ringer even more on the map. Um, and it was. A, it's, it shows you, I guess, the modern state of journalism as well that they're, they're digging into these sort of Twitter yeah. things now. Yeah. Um, so interesting uh, just, how he must have a relationship with someone, right, who obviously leaked this, leaked, hinted that this was happening. Well, he said in the story so, he didn't even know. He still doesn't know who the leaker was or is. Yeah. Oh, so, right. okay. So um, why they chose him. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. sure why. So, um, so yeah, so that that will certainly be uh, an interesting story. Last little tidbit on that. Do you know that Sam Hickey never actually said the process? He never said the words, this is the process. It was a headline on a story that someone else wrote, but he never actually said it. Isn't that amazing? He never said trust the process? He never said that, no. So he's always at pains to point that out. So the fans just sort of took it and ran with it in Philly. So, all right, Daz, we might leave it there for tonight. We'll see what what happens in the in the finals. I won't be watching too much of it, but I guess we we might glance and a cursory eye over it and um, give everyone an update uh, in a week or so's time. Uh, and see where we're at, and, and look. Hopefully, we get some competitive basketball. Although, so certainly, I don't, I don't hold much hope for that at this point. I think our next pod will be about a draft preview, as my as my sense. And there will be an emergency pod if if Cleveland, I think, wins two games, and they'll. And we'll probably wax for two hours about it if that actually does happen. So yeah, I think well, that's right. We'll, we'll get yeah. on a paper pod if um, if that happens. But otherwise, we're sort of already looking ahead to the draft and free agency and and some of those contract situations yeah. that are coming up at different clubs. So good to talk to you again tonight, Daz. It's been a good season. Um, pity to see it in this way, but uh, we'll, we'll sort of <laughs> we'll endure yeah. another four games or four or five games of uh, these terrible Golden State Cleveland games and then we'll 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 start looking ahead and planning for the the yeah. two thousand eighteen nineteen season. Draft is only twenty three days away by the way. Yeah, I know. It's it's away. it comes quick it's, it is a twelve month a year sport now, isn't it? You get that sort of you might get a month, I awesome. guess, just after summer league you get a little bit of a respite. Because the last few years we've had big trades in between summer league and sort of the, the yeah, start of pre season. Well, Kyrie, yeah, Kyrie that's right. Jacked August last year, didn't he? That's yeah. right. So August is supposed to be quiet, but um, we'll see anyway, if that happens again. Good stuff. It's all right. All right, mate. Good to talk to you again. We'll, we'll talk then soon. Cheers, mate.